0: Hello, I'm Paul Gisby. In episode one of this season on promotion, I said that I had several questions about promotion that I wanted to explore with other leaders. Why is getting promoted so important? Why do we seek it? Once we've got it, how does reality match up to expectations? And is there anything that can be learned from listening to the experiences of others? Did I get answers to my questions? I think I did. And reflecting upon what people said in each episode, I've summarised what I heard under three headings. Advice and guidance, watch-outs, and philosophy. First, advice and guidance, of which there's a wealth in all the interviews. Again, splitting things up, I've grouped what people said to me in three more areas. Making yourself promotion-ready, choosing well, and making it work. Making yourself promotion-ready. By making yourself promotion-ready, I mean those things that people talked about which aren't what you do when you're targeting a specific promotion, but which are more general and which can not only equip you to be in a better position to land a promotion if an opportunity comes up, but also increases the likelihood of promotion opportunities coming your way. A common theme in this area was the whole idea of making sure you fully understand yourself. What motivates you? What your values are? Your strengths? and what it is about the work that you're in that excites you and which you want more of. Business psychologist Katie Humes said that she believes many people don't make enough effort to understand these things. And in fact, it does seem that although all the interviewees believe that they now have a grasp on these things, they seem to have developed these thoughts over time as their career progressed. Katie strongly suggests that people take a more proactive approach and build up this understanding of themselves by making use of one or more of the tools available for this kind of thing and or working with a coach skilled in these matters. Networking came up a lot as a way of getting advice, learning about opportunities and making yourself visible. Serena Bergman talked about this being a good thing to do both formally within work and spending social time with colleagues. Giselle Tavares talked about the importance of building up what she calls social capital. And it's been Kirsten Campbell's experience that the best opportunities come through who you know. So the wider your network, the greater the chance of something attractive coming along. Deborah Lipman-Gosch, Serena, Karin Wingstrand and Giselle all specifically underlined the importance of being visible so that you can be seen as someone who has good ideas, is prepared to stretch themselves and can deliver. And a good way of extending visibility is to volunteer to take on additional projects. Deborah suggests thinking outside of the box and offering to undertake work to solve ongoing problems or improve performance. And, okay, it will mean more work. But as Giselle pointed out, the visibility this kind of thing gives you is a great investment in yourself. Other people are obviously key to one's progress. Sponsors can be great. Karin has clearly benefited from the advocacy of senior leaders acting as sponsors and pushing for her progression because they believed in her. Giselle, Katie and David strongly advise getting a mentor, someone who you admire to act as a sounding board coach and guide. Giselle gave some pointers on how to choose a good mentor and David gives a clear description of the difference between a sponsor and a mentor. And one universal thought from all the interviewees, being seen to do a good job in your current role is one of the best things you can do to make yourself promotion ready. Not only does it demonstrate competence, but, as Kirsten put it, people are attracted to work with others who take evident pleasure from what they do. Choosing well When it comes to taking a specific promotion, thinking carefully about the role offered should not be rushed. The risk of making a poor choice by failing to think carefully about what's being offered was cited several times. If you've done the self-analysis mentioned earlier, Now is the time to use it to see how well the role matches your values, strengths and preferences. Also, take time to research the new role. Do you fully understand what's involved? You may think you know what your manager does, but as Katie pointed out, there may be quite a few things they do that are not visible to you which might not fit your profile so well. Serena explained that while many would see promotion to an editorial role as an obvious promotion to take as a journalist, Editing is quite different from being a reporter. The work involved is different and the responsibilities that come with a job can be onerous. Deborah recommends that if you're going for a role the next level up from you, take time to try and visualise yourself in your manager's role. As she put it, take time to walk in their moccasins. Jeffrey Skolnick, Kirsten and Giselle All talked about the demotivating experience of ending up in roles that were not a good match for them. Working outside of your strengths is notably more physically draining than when you're playing to them. And as Katie Humes pointed out, it can weaken one's resilience. Sometimes, as Lisa Smith noted, spending time in a role that's not exactly to your liking might be necessary as a stepping stone to something to which you are better fitted. But if that's not what you're doing, and the role just isn't for you, don't stick it out. Like Jeffrey, Kirsten and Giselle, acknowledge the mismatch and move on. Beyond thinking about how you might perform in a role, another aspect of choosing well is to think about the wider context of what you'll be doing. What is the intent of the role and the organisation you'll be working for? Katie pointed out that thinking about how the work you're in fits with personal values is increasingly important for people. And Mike Edwards is excited by the idea that people will deliberately use the opportunity of a promotion to make a difference in the future in the way business impacts the environment. And he strongly encourages people to use positions that they are appointed to to challenge norms. Finally, under choosing well, while it's definitely important to get a good fit between yourself and a role, as Giselle, Karin, Jeffrey, Lisa and Kirsten were keen to advise, be brave. Wisely venturing outside your comfort zone is vital to developing and growing. So don't limit yourself. As one of Kirsten's former managers put it, don't go through life waiting for permission. Make your own rules. And Giselle was quite clear. Don't be afraid to just ask for a bigger job. You might get a yes. And if you get a no, it can be useful in understanding what you'd need to do to get a yes next time. Making it work. Great. You've put in the groundwork, you've chosen the right next move and landed the position. Now to make it work. And under this heading, several pieces of useful advice were offered. The first was about feeling out of your depth and the general feeling that it's okay to feel a bit overwhelmed. In fact, for Giselle, feeling out of your depth when you first start is what she looks for. Otherwise, it's not really a stretch promotion. Similarly, Karin was always interested in looking for bigger ponds to swim in to give her room to grow. And to help sustain you through the new challenges, there were some suggestions of things to keep in mind. From Karin and others, be confident in what it is you bring to the role and remember that you're not expected to be able to have all the answers to everything. As you become more senior, the job becomes about using your skills to bring together and make the best of the skills of the team. To this end, Karin's strong advice is to draw upon the expertise of the people who report to you and build relationships with your team. Giselle talked about being humble and asking for help. Lisa's experience as a lieutenant in the British Army was that even though in the Army rank is clearly visible to all, it's a mistake to just rely on this. You still need to win the respect of those who you lead. And if you do, they will stand by you when you need them. And even though most of us, fortunately, are unlikely to have to deal with a bomb scare as Lisa did, the advice of make an ally of your sergeant is one that's worth following wherever you work. Knowing how you're doing is also important. Karin talked about making sure you find out how others see you, and Lisa had a sobering experience where she neglected to maintain good communication with direct reports, only to be given a stinging piece of feedback about the quality of the job she was doing. Harking back to Kirsten's comment about being brave, Giselle warned about the monsters within and the voices placing doubt in your mind. Again, this is where a mentor can be a great help. Watch-outs My first big watch-out is a huge one. Bias, or just out-and-out prejudice. I asked all the interviewees if they had ever felt discriminated against for any reason, and most of them said they were unaware of it being a factor for them. However, Deborah talked about her experience of age becoming a barrier to securing roles as her career progressed, particularly when she found herself relatively late on, competing in the open market following redundancy. As an HR professional, she is well aware of the kind of conversations that go on behind the scenes about candidates, including the use of the demeaning question about a candidate, do they have sufficient runway to make their appointment worthwhile? Serena talked about the sexism that exists in journalism and is confident that she lost out on one particular promotion because of being female. She also highlighted the class divide that has been well documented in British journalism. And then there was David's story. A tale of racism in the UK finance sector. Unlike the other aspects of promotion that were covered, the advice on how to manage such prejudice if encountered is not as clear-cut and straightforward. Bias of this kind is too deeply embedded, if not systemic, to be overcome with a few tips. However, hearing the stories of people who have had to handle prejudice may at least, I hope, help in a small way, for example by flagging that such things still widely occur. Recalling what David's manager said when discussing the idea of setting up an ethnic minority interest group, do we still need things like that? Yes, sadly we do. As David pointed out, the way prejudice appears may be more subtle than it once was, but it's still happening. Not that there aren't things you can do. David strongly advised writing down and confirming with managers all that is said when discussing what you need to do to get promoted, so that there can be no claims of misunderstanding if promises are not fulfilled. He urged people to get involved with others seeking to combat racism or any kind of prejudice, whether this is forming interest groups within an organisation or reaching out to other businesses to share experiences and advice. He also recommended sharpening your crap detector so you can call out prejudice even if it's shrouded in diversionary language. And taking a positive view, Deborah sought to encourage others to keep going because, as she put it, if the chemistry is right, it will happen. Other things to watch out for in pursuing promotion that came up included the potential promotion has to impact personal relationships, with Deborah sharing how one promotion she achieved negatively impacted her relationship with former peers who she had counted as friends. And a strong warning came from Andy Stanley, Deborah, and others about promotion becoming an obsession. Deborah admitted to having chased title for a while and described how it can make one slightly paranoid always comparing oneself to others – an experience Mike also owned up to. And Andy told the story of how he and his fellow majors became consumed with discussions about who was getting promoted, who wasn't, and suffering disillusionment when one's name, yet again, failed to appear on the much-awaited pink list. And not forgetting a very important watch out – people. The people one works with have a huge impact on one's experience. So it's important to take time, if possible, to get a view on the people you'll be working with, particularly those to whom you'll be reporting. Both Deborah and Karin related stories where, fortunately, they were aware of the potential for problems with people with whom they would have been working and declined promotions. Finally, we come to what I'm calling the philosophy of promotion. How people think about promotion overall. What are their primary motivations? what getting promoted means to people emotionally, and how ideas about how to fulfil promotion ambitions develop. The people in this season of podcasts, not surprisingly, cited the classic reasons for wanting promotion. Validation, growth and development, tangible reward, money, benefits, etc., and status. And everyone prioritised two. Validation, being recognised and rewarded for one's achievements ability and potential to deliver more, and growth and development. But although it might appear that these are the more worthy reasons for wanting promotion, people did admit that tangible reward and status were things that had influenced them. Giselle said that she has at times felt reticent about wanting a bigger title, but has come to realise that title does have a value in, say, signalling your achievements and stature, and that isn't necessarily a bad thing. Deborah shared that the driver for her pursuit of her first promotion was more money, which she badly needed as a single parent. And the money and benefits side is something that shouldn't be overlooked because what's wrong with being fairly rewarded for what you do? And if you're not careful, you could find yourself being taken advantage of. Karin shared her disappointment and hurt at discovering that others promoted to the same level as her had been given better terms And Kirsten talked about the time she thought she might be asking for too much of an increase when she was asked to relocate to London, only to discover later that her predecessor had been on double what she had asked for. But validation and growth were definitely top and underpinned the main emotions people felt at getting promoted. As Geoffrey, Kirsten, Karin and others said, it feels good to have your contribution recognised. And as Karin and Giselle put it, it's exciting to be given the opportunity to extend your skills in a new area, tackling a greater challenge. And interestingly, this latter idea, that one of the best things about promotion is the new possibilities that it opens up, appears to have become more important as careers have progressed, with people like Andy, Mike, Serena and Lisa, all saying that for them promotion now means being able to do the things they really want to, which may not necessarily come with more money, big office, or fancy title. Karin talked about finding new things to be curious about being important. One other overall observation is that, apart from Andy and Lisa's experience in the British Army, nobody had a clear plan and path that they followed from the early stages of their career. The thoughts people shared and the advice they offered came from reflecting upon their experiences as they progressed. People did start to apply their own advice over time, but given that there's so much excellent guidance and support available, it would make sense, as Katie Humes recommends, to systematically take advantage of it sooner rather than later. As Andy points out, whether or not having a progression route as highly structured as in the Army is the best approach is unclear, but being somewhat rudderless and leaving things to happen stance is probably trusting too much to look. OK. That's a whirlwind tour through all 11 interviews. If you found this summary useful and haven't had the chance yet to listen to the individual episodes, then I do recommend you do so. There's a great deal more to glean from what people said than I've been able to cover here. And the stories people told are well worth a listening themselves. Also, listen out for the last episode in the season coming soon where I will be pulling together a compendium of all the top tips each interviewee gave at the end of their interview. Final thought? Thinking about all that I heard in the interviews, the best advice I personally would take from the wisdom shared is the point about making sure you really do understand what you want, what stimulates you at work, what gives you flow, and then analysing roles you might take to see if there's a good match If you genuinely love what you do for a living, opportunities for promotion, in whatever form is right for you, will come your way. I'm Paul Gisby of Talking Leaders. We help leaders who want to get heard, be understood and to build trust. Goodbye.